They are concerned about their outward appearances, but Jesus only cares about the heart. If you're more concerned with what people will think of you, Jesus is saying, stop being something that you're not. This is All Things New with Pastor Barry E. Fields. What comes to your mind when you think of the word judgment? Probably what comes into your mind when you think of the word sermon. It usually has a negative connotation in today's culture. Maybe you think about Armageddon or you think about bad movie reviews with really bad plot lines, really bad theology, and really bad acting. Maybe you think about an apocalyptic imagery, paintings and visions of end times, of what is yet to come. I heard of a man who got so confused over the terminology of what we often describe as the pit of darkness. He had gotten drunk. He was trying to find his way home. He got on every city bus that he possibly could, got lost and turned around. And finally, he ended up on a bus with a little old lady who had just come back from church. And as he was sitting there slovenly in his look and not knowing what was going on, she looked at him and she said, Mr., I just have to tell you, you're going to hell. And he jumped up in a panic and he said, oh, no, I'm on the wrong bus again and took off running. My worry is that hell has become such a byword and judgment has become so ambiguous that we don't even know what the scripture talks about. But when you trace the line of argument all the way throughout the Bible, it says that there is a day of reckoning coming. It is known as the day of the Lord. And every knee shall bow willingly, unwillingly, every tongue shall confess whether they want to or not that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's the constant warning throughout Scripture that judgment is coming. The band played the song before the service, Brethren, we have met to worship. One of those verses is, Brethren, see poor sinners round you, slumbering on the brink of woe. Death is coming. Hell is moving. Can you bear to let them go? See our fathers and our mothers and our children sinking down. Brethren, pray, and holy manna will be showered all around. There is a sense in which you live your entire life waiting on the judgment of God. I've done two funerals within the last days. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. But on that day of judgment, what will be the indictment against you? What will be the charges? A lot of people think, well, the people who don't go to church are going to hell. Actually, I think there will be just as many people who did go to church who may be there. Well, the people who don't give, the people who don't pray, the people who don't straighten up their lives. The Scripture seems to indicate something far different. Jesus has been having this ongoing dialogue with the Pharisees. And the tragic irony of all of the Bible is that Jesus and the Pharisees actually agree on a lot. The Pharisees were known as good people in the New Testament era, but they pushed their interpretations of the law to such a point where they got much more concerned about the law's enforcement than its implications. They got much more concerned about their preferences than their principles, way more worried about their styles than standards. They got so caught up in the tradition of their worship, they forgot all about the God they worshiped. And Jesus said, this is my indictment against you, not against the world, but against the church. Look in Matthew 23 and beginning in verse 1. 
Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So that's the place of the law. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but they do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries or their long books of laws broad and their fringes or their pockets long, and they love the place of honor at feast and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi or teacher, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. These are the woes handed out to the Pharisees. These are similar woes that will be handed out in Revelation. Here's the first woe. Shutting the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, beginning in verse 13. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. What is it to shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces? Jesus will describe the Pharisees as blind guides leading the blind. They are pointing the way, but they're not going that way themselves. So not only are they sending people in the wrong direction, but they're not even heading in the direction that they proclaim. And the danger for them and the danger for us is that we would proclaim to people, this is how you come to God. This is how you get to God and yet never find the Lord for ourselves. Can you imagine shutting the kingdom of heaven in people's faces? We used to do something generations ago. It's called door knocking. You'd go to random homes. People were a lot more open to that a generation ago. Has anybody ever had a door slammed in their face? It's fun, isn't it? Can you imagine the kingdom of heaven, the door and the entrance, and slamming it? Because you were more concerned about the way that you did church than you were about someone's eternal salvation. So how do they do this? Well, they're more concerned about rules and regulations than they are relationships. Jesus says they make it hard to bear on people, and they don't lift it for themselves. They make it about preferences rather than principles. They make it about styles rather than standards. This is my music. This is my style. This is my thing about how they do church rather than worshiping the one and serving the one who gave his life for the church. And friends, if you spend your whole life reading through the Gospels and looking at the Pharisees and saying, those Pharisees, <laughs> look how they messed up. I'm glad I'm not like them. Rest assured that when you see the word Pharisee, Jesus is talking about you. He's not talking to people who don't know the church. He's talking to the people who think they are the church. You shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. 
Here's the second woe, making proselytes into children of hell. In verse 15, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of heaven as yourself, unless you do it exactly our way. Pray the prayer, walk the aisle, do it just like I did. They're not interested in making followers of Jesus. They're interested in making clones of their image. And rather than following after the image of God, they just create a God in the image of themselves. Jesus passes an indictment on them. I fear that so often what we want to do to people is say, unless you dress like us and talk like us and act like us, you're not welcome here. And we won't say that out loud. We just stare at people when they look strange. We back off from them and they talk a little different. And the danger is this is a generational problem. Or on the other end, you want for your kids a good thing, what you didn't have for yourself, which is a good inclination, but you take it to the point where you start getting mixed up about what is priority. And so you say, I want my kids to do all these extracurricular activities. I want them doing all these things. And even if that means I have to neglect worship in the Lord's house, we'll do it because they only live once. And you focus so much on the temporal that you may very well be missing out on the eternal. They make proselytes into children of hell. Do it my way. Do it the way I want. Jesus says we curse them through our embittered and entitled heart. Here's the third woe. This is fun. Swearing at the sacred while eulogizing the profane. This is verse 16. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. Don't talk like that. We're in church. The Bible says your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. And Jesus is much more concerned with what you're doing by yourself when no one else is watching than he is your public image. Not in church, we are church. He says, you'll swear by the gold of the, of the temple, but you won't even take the temple seriously. You'll swear by what's on the altar, but not by the altar itself. You don't care about that. You, you make these distinctions and you make primary things secondary things, and secondary things primary. And Jesus says, you are as blind fools. You know what a hypocrite is? A hypocrite is someone who is an actor in Greek plays and they would wear a mask. They were fostering a charade onto other people. This is what Jesus is more upset about with the Pharisees than anything else. It is that they are indicting people for the very same things that they do. They are living a life that they cannot hope themselves to lead. And so he calls them out on it. Here's the fourth one. Focusing on the material while neglecting the immaterial. This is in verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. He says you're straining a gnat, but you're swallowing a camel. Here's how you measure this. And brothers and sisters, I hope you tithe. I think it's biblically mandated that you do so. 10% of your income, I think the Lord will bless you for doing that. I've never seen someone who tithed and said, I live to regret it. The Lord didn't provide. But tithing is not always an indication of your spirit of generosity. What do you do beyond tithe? Let's put it this way. How much do you tip? 
We talk a lot about being pro-life in the church, and yes, praise the Lord, we should be from conception all the way to the grave. But I want to tell you, Jesus cares just as much about refugees as he does unborn babies. And regardless of what party you're on, we have to care for people created in the image of God. And so somebody disagrees with a biblical definition of of marriage, and you call them out on that, and you say we should only support marriage as defined by the Bible, I agree 100%, but you're not calling out your kids or your grandkids who are living in sexual immorality outside of marriage. I hadn't preached in a couple weeks, so I'm getting into it this morning. Jesus says something else. He says, rather than focusing on the material, you ought to be focusing on the immaterial. You ought to be even more, when you talk about this gold in the temple, you ought to be laying up for yourselves treasures in heaven to stop living for what's temporary and to start living for what's eternal. Because contrary to popular belief, the law of the Lord is not a bad thing. It is a good thing. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the heart. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold. Here's the fifth woe. This is fun. Cleaning the outside in order to cover up the inside. Verse 25, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You are really good at keeping up appearances. we got people in this room Maybe people on the stage who are experts at spiritual image management. Man, you know how to make sure that things look right in church. You know the hands to shake. You know the people to greet. You know what to wear. You know what to dress. You know how to say it. You're really good at keeping up appearances. You're really good at pushing people to a distance and acting like things are okay. Can I just say something to you? God does not get played. Never has been, never will be. And good luck for any of us who think we can talk our way out of the judgment day when we stand before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I wish you well. The sixth row is related to the fifth woe. It is for appearing beautiful on the outside while being dead on the inside. This is in verse 27 where Jesus says you are like whitewashed tombs. He's probably standing near a cemetery pointing to it. Outwardly you are beautiful, but within you are full of dead people's bones and uncleanness. You appear righteous to others, but you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And again, this is the indictment of the Pharisee, keeping up with appearances, keeping up with neighbors. They love the place of honor and the best seats and greetings in the marketplace. They love being called rabbi or teacher by others. They are concerned about their outward appearances, but Jesus only cares about the hearts. If you're more concerned with what people will think of you, you don't realize that most of the time they don't think of you. Jesus is saying, stop being something that you're not. The problem with this group is that they display physical health when they're spiritually sick. And Jesus will tell them, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I just feel like so often our attitude is put the image like we have it all together. 
get the kids lined up, threaten them within an inch of their life before they walk into church, maybe threaten them after church too, have everything ready. And Jesus is saying, what are you doing? You know, even the way that we pray sometimes, and I praise God, we could and could pray about anything, but we will pray for people's body parts, we will pray for ligaments, we will pray for joints and marrows and sneezes and coughs, and then we'll switch over to pets. We'll pray for our cats. We'll pray for our bird who just got diagnosed with chicken pox. I mean, we'll pray for anything and everything, but why are you not praying for your kid who is away from the Lord? who you are hoping that during vacation Bible school years ago when they made that profession, you're hoping with everything it's got, it's real. You're hoping that your grandkids who are with them, who don't even know the name of Jesus, will somehow find out about him. Why are you not praying for that? Why are you not praying for your marriage that's on the rocks? We spend all this time, let's pray for our country. Why don't we pray for the church? Why don't we pray for revival within the church? Well, let's put it on the schedule. It's not a calendar thing with God. Why are you keeping people right here? When Jesus says, I see in here. And the question that you've got to ask, and the question that we ask for all of us is, do you really want to be helped? Because there's a lot of people who want you to know about their problems. But they don't want to do anything about the problems. They don't really want to change and repent in order to be helped by the Lord. And we live in this world where victimization has just become a thing. And to anybody who has been a victim of any type of abuse, we reach out to you. We pray for you. We want to hear your story. And we want to help you. But there's a difference between being a victim and having a victim mentality. I don't know how many people can tell everything that's wrong with their family and wrong with the world. And then when I ask, where do you need to repent? They don't have anything to say. It's incredible. Rolling Stone came out with a story this past week on the life and the financial troubles of Johnny Depp, who was born in Owensboro, has grossed $650 million in his acting career, $3.6 billion in movies, and has blown it all away. So he's suing his financial management firm, trying to get it back because he's broke. And he gave a little bit too much to the interview. He was talking about some extraordinary things. For example, when his friend Hunter S. Thompson, the writer, died, he had asked him to shoot his ashes out of a cannon 150 feet into the air. And so Johnny Depp paid $3 million to do that. He disputes some of the charges that are put to him by his accountant saying that he spent $30,000 a month on wine. And the funny thing is, Johnny Depp says, that's a lie. I actually spent far more than that. But if you read this article, the whole time he talks about all the people who have been done him wrong, all the people who have betrayed him, all the good that he's trying to do. He doesn't talk about the drunkenness and the spousal abuse and eating up every drug in the pharmaceutical industry. There's no repentance. Because you like this. And God says you got to break that down. Instead, not a victim mentality, but a broken spirit and a contrite heart. Where is the attitude that says, search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there be any wicked way in me. Because when that gets in the church, 
Revival will break out. I promise you. We're short on time. Here's the seventh woe. Thinking that it could never happen to you. Verse 29. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets. You decorate the monuments of the righteous, and you say, if we had lived in the days of our father, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Here's what they say. We would never do that. That can never happen to me. I'm just going to tell you, the very moment that you think you would never do that and it would never happen to you is the moment when it can. They say, we won't do this to the prophets. We wouldn't have killed them, and yet they're going to shed the blood of Christ. Just three chapters later, they says, Jesus says, you witness against yourselves that your sons who, of those who murdered the prophets. He says, how can you escape brood of vipers being sentenced to, to hell? Jesus is trying to help, but they are literally going to kill the messenger. Can never happen to us. Everything's wrong out there. You know what part of our problem is? Part of our problem is we keep looking at what's wrong with the culture and what's wrong with society and trying to address its ills and its woes. We keep asking what has happened to the world when we ought to be asking what in the world has happened to salt and light? What in the world is wrong with the church? Judgment always begins in the household of God. Right here. That's why Jesus is so much more condemning of the Pharisees than he is of the Gentiles. Because they know the truth. But they deny it by the way they live and the way they act. So we'll try to name judgments based on cataclysmic events. A hurricane happens. That means Jesus is coming back. But the judgment of God is often not revealed by outside events. Most of the time it's revealed by the absence of his presence. When the glory of the Lord leaves the temple and the end times people cry out but are not heard. It's why David says, Lord, restore to me the joy of salvation because I can't stand to not have your presence in my life. He says, you guys sit at the seat of Moses. You've got a good place of of law, you have the right to administer it, but you're not rightly dividing the word of truth. Your head is right, but your heart is wrong. As a result, they don't listen to the words of Jesus because they don't think he knows what he's talking about. Because your pride will bring you down long before your actions ever will. Nobody starts with a big scandal. Little decision here, little slip up there. And the big problem that all of us have is we should hate our own sins more than other people's. But what more often than not makes us mad is that other people sin differently than we do. God is okay with my sin, but not okay with their sin. We refuse to be accountable. But friends, as we close, here's what I would say to you. The judgment of the Lord is not meant to harm you, but it is meant to help you. It is meant to drive you to the cross Because often the people who say don't judge are using that attitude to justify their own sin. They really are. But how often we forget that it is the kindness of God that leads to repentance. God is doing you a favor by commanding you to repent. This is what he says in Romans 2, 4 and 5. Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? 
But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Here's the tragic irony of the whole passage is that anyone who repents can be saved. And Jesus will cry out at the end of it and he will say, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets. How I would have longed to have gathered you as a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not. Jesus says, Pharisees, Pharisees, how I would gather you together, how I would take you in my arms if you would repent, but you will not turn. And to people in church, he says over and over, if you would come, if you would repent, Jesus would take you too. And what a shame it would be for someone in this room to hear of the judgment of God And to learn of the Lord's salvation and not to partake in his grace. That's the indictment against the Pharisees. After all of these woes are through, Jesus says, you can still come. You can still repent. But you won't. The whole command of the Bible over and over again is harden not your hearts. If you're here this morning... You don't think anybody knows your business. That may be true, but God does. Knows every bit of it. He says if you'll come to him in repentance and faith, you can have the same life that was promised throughout all the ages for those who would believe. And when you stand before the judgment of the King of kings, of the Lord of lords, you will not hear an indictment. You will not hear charges. You will hear forgiveness because of the shed blood of Christ. Bow your heads with me if you would. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the broadcast. If you found it helpful, please consider sharing it with your family and friends. For more information, check us out online at veryefields.com.